This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Today, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Before we get started, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the gift of your word and the truth in it that you use to grow us and shape us and mold us into a better image of your Son. So, Father, it is to that extent that I pray now that you would again use the the portion of your word that we're going to look at this morning to make us more like Christ, to grow us and shape us and build us into a better image of our Savior. So, Father, it's in His name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. We're going to continue our study on the small books of the Bible in Haggai this morning, if you want to start heading there in your Bible. Haggai is the third book to the left of the Gospels, if you want to look at it that way. It goes Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So you can find Matthew head left. While you're doing that, I wanted to ask you what your answer might be if I asked you what you wanted to be when you were young. Doctor, nurse, army man, wonder woman. What did you want to be when you were young? Or how about when you were a little older? When you realized that wonder woman wasn't going to be a viable option? When those dreams turned into something more like goals. And maybe it wasn't something so specific. Maybe you wanted to live in a certain place or have a certain kind of family or visit a certain number of places. Whatever it was, whatever your dreams were, the reason I ask that question is I wonder if today any of you feel like you're living a kind of plan B. Like your life is a downgrade from what you had hoped. Like the enthusiasm and expectation and excitement that once fueled your dreams has been derailed. Perhaps by a personal tragedy, perhaps by a a big sin, or maybe just by the daily pressures of life. And don't get me wrong, many of us have come to accept plan B. In some cases, we love our lives. But if I were to ask you on a random day how you feel your life has turned out, how would you answer? Would you say everything is perfect, or would you say, if you were honest to yourself, that life isn't as fulfilling or satisfying as you hoped it would be? If any part of that is true for you today, then Haggai has something to say to you this morning. You see, the year is 520 B.C., And Darius, once the general of the Persian army, has become himself the king after squashing a mutiny that killed the previous king. However, in a small town on the outskirts of this empire was a little city called Jerusalem. And in that city, life had slipped into the mundane. You see, nearly 20 years earlier, Cyrus, another Persian king, had issued a decree that allowed these Jews to go back to their homeland, 
to rebuild their temple. But by now, all of that excitement, all of that anticipation had faded in the wake of, of conflict and hardship. Not to mention just the daily pressures of life. Once they were filled with this great expectation and hope that they were going to be the ones that came back to the, to the homeland and rebuilt a community for God that had been torn down so many years earlier. But by the time of Haggai's prophecy, nearly 20 years had passed since they returned and those dreams had been replaced by a mundane subservience to the status quo. Been replaced by lives just absorbed with trying to make plan B as comfortable as possible. Yet it was into this mundane existence that God called Haggai to bring a message of great hope and exhortation. Make no mistake, the book of Haggai is about the importance of building God's temple. So it was into the monotony of plan B that God sent Haggai to exhort these people to get to work on his house so he could once again dwell with them. And that's what I want to convince you all of this morning. I want to persuade each and every one of you that we too must faithfully continue to build God's house. That we must faithfully continue to build God's house. Let me show you what I mean. Notice in Haggai chapter 1, the Lord of hosts tells us first that we must faithfully continue to build God's house instead of our own. Instead of our own. Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors." Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet as, their, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, Sheltiel governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, 
on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now before we begin, it's important to notice that Haggai is obsessed with these time markers. He can't help it. In verse 1, it's the second year of Darius, sixth month. In verse uh, 15, at the end of chapter 1, it's the 24th day of the month, chapter 2, verse 1. It's the seventh month of the 21st day, chapter 2, verse 10, and so on and so on. Now, the reason Haggai is so absorbed with these time markers is because he wants to make sure that we, too, hear the ticking clock of God's covenantal promises. Remember, God said there would be 70 years of exile. 70 years, his absence would be, would be taken away from his people. So follow me here. If Judah was taken into exile in 586 B.C., and Haggai, the year now is 520 B.C., then doing the math, Haggai wants to make sure we know there's only four years left until God had promised His presence would return to His people. The problem is, God's presence is in the temple, which until now had barely been started. But look again at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, to be sure, nobody denied the importance of rebuilding God's house. The consensus was it's just not time yet. But the date in verse 1 gives us a clue to perhaps why they didn't think it was time yet. You see, the sixth month of their months are not like ours. The sixth month of the year for them was, was late fall, meaning it was harvest time for them. In other words, part of what Haggai was telling us is now was not the time to build the temple because they were busy. They had taxes to pay and harvests to reap and, 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 and bills to pay. But look again at what God said in verse 4. Is it time for you to yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? In other words, God's saying, you say you don't have the time or the money to build my house, but you seem to have found the time and the money to build your own. So God said in verses 5 and 6, You have sown but reaped little. You eat but you, you don't have enough. You drink but you, you don't get your fill. Meaning, have you ever wondered why all your work seems to amount to so little. How about you? Do you ever feel like that? Like a teenager finding out how much is actually taken out of their first check. It seems like the harder you work, the harder you run, the only thing that changes is you're more out of breath. And don't get me wrong, things weren't easy for these people. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah detail the constant attacks and hardships and, and, and difficulties that these people faced. 
But the truth that God exposes in verse 4 really hasn't changed, has it? That when things get difficult, when pressures increase from any direction, we get to work taking care of ourselves. For example, have you ever thought, I'm too worn out to go to church because of how much effort I spent on my own house this week? Or why do we seem to find all the time we need on weekends to go on vacation? But for some reason, work is too important to miss during the week. Well, here's the thing. When we sacrifice time and service to the Lord in order to pursue our own plans and our own desires and our own comfort and our own security, we expose a lie that we've believed about our God. We expose that we see our God as a taker instead of a giver. We expose that we think if I need to give something to God, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard. Instead of saying that we need to go to God because He has what we need and wants to give it to us. We expose that when we get busy, we put God in line until we get our own priorities taken care of. I should qualify that there is something your God wants to take. He wants to take your sin. He wants to take your despair. He wants to take your hopelessness and in return give you forgiveness and joy and hopefulness. But when we don't do that, when we shove God to the back seat, What God is telling us in Haggai is He's saying, by doing that, what's actually happened is you have enough to eat, but not enough to feast. He says, you've gotten for yourself enough to drink, but not enough to celebrate. You you have gotten enough that you can stay out of the cold, but you're not warm. You ever feel like that? Like you have enough to eat, but not enough to feast? Well, if so, this morning God's asking you the same question He asked Israel. How's that working out for you? You see, the people of Judah needed to abandon all their excuses, all their busyness, all their reasons for neglecting God's house, and they needed to reorder their priorities, reorder what needed to be done. The same is true for us this morning. Some of us need to abandon our excuses and the busyness that keeps us from working on God's house and reorder our priorities. We need to stop seeing God as a taker and see Him for who He really is, a giver. Some of us need to get to work on God's house instead of our own. And in verse 12, it tells us exactly what, that's exactly what the people did. But what I want you to see again is the immediate response they got in verse 13 and 14. In verse 13, God said not only was He with them, but then in verse, in verse 14, he, it says He even stirred up in them a desire to do this work. So first, we too must get to work on God's house instead of our own. However, see the thing is that repentance 
that change. We say, all right, I'm going to do this. We reorder the priorities and we get to work on God's house. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. Look at, look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. In other words, God is saying after we start, when we do put get to work on God's house, that we still must continue to, to build His house even when it seems disappointing. Even when it seems disappointing. Again, Haggai tells us with these time markers that a month and 20 days in, things weren't going like they expected them to. Remember, the, the temple that Babylon destroyed, the temple of Solomon, that was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. History tells us that you could see this thing from miles away because the sun would shine off of all the gold it was covered with. But verse 3 tells us that there were a small handful of certainly elderly people who knew what they were building wasn't going to be like what they remember. But it wasn't just them. You don't have to have seen Solomon's temple to be disappointed in what you're doing. Look again at what God said in verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Why did he have to say that? Well, picture it. You're standing right there. You're doing the work. And the foundation that you're laying is clearly inside the foundation of Solomon's temple. And the walls you're erecting are clearly not as tall and certainly not engineered to hold as much gold, even if you had enough gold, which you don't. Yet God says the glory of this house shall be greater than the former. But you're standing there staring at reality like, mm, no, God, it's really not. You ever feel like that? Like what you're doing for God just seems really disappointing. I remember one time when I was young, I, I made my mom an ornament for our Christmas tree. It was supposed to be a glorious depiction of a star that she could proudly display on our tree. I'm sure she did, but not because it was glorious. In reality, it was an oblong lump of tinfoil with toothpicks sticking out of it. You ever feel like your work for the Lord's kingdom looks like that? 
like you finally commit to working for the kingdom of the Lord, but the results look more like a third-grade Christmas ornament than something for God. Maybe you finally decide to serve the church in one way or another, but you're told you need to do it differently. Or maybe you try to counsel someone, but when you're done, the situation's actually worse than when you started. Or maybe you finally decide to step out on a limb to use your spiritual gift, but you're sure that everyone else agrees that it's as big of a disaster as you think it is. Well, again, the date in Haggai in this section is important because the 21st day of the seventh month was the last day of what was called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a, it was a yearly feast where Israel would build these little lean-tos around little tents around the, around the temple and camp out for about a week. And the, and the purpose was, was to remember the time when they were in the wilderness after the Exodus and they were just living in tents. But it wasn't just to remember what happened. The point of this feast was to remember God's provision when they were completely helpless on their own. In other words, listen. Notice that God doesn't challenge their view of reality. He doesn't say, oh, it's not that bad, you guys. It's a beautiful star. No, because our, gods, our God doesn't deny reality like our mothers sometimes do. No, notice that despite the fact that their project seemed like nothing in their eyes, God's command to them over and over again in verse 4 is still work. Be strong and work over and over again. Why? Because God says, I am with you. Meaning, I'm not asking you to understand what's going on. I'm not asking you to qualify or quantify the progress you're making. I'm not even asking you to grade yourself. No, that's not what he's asking me to do. He says, all I'm asking you to do is just like you're celebrating in your little tents, rest in the fact that I'm with you to provide what you need. But why? Why can't God just empower his people to make a better temple? Why can't he just empower us when we step out and try to work for the Lord to do it right, to never screw up, to be perfect in our spiritual gifts, or maybe even to know what they are, depending on who you are. Well, listen, this is important. Who gets the glory if we do everything perfect? Who gets the glory if we don't make mistakes? In other words, God's command to us is still to faithfully build His house even when it seems disappointing, even when the results appear to be disappointing. Because God's plan is not for our work to result in perfection. But for our flawed efforts to be these magnificent display cases of His power and glory. God's plan is to display His glory as He still accomplishes His plan through our largely inadequate efforts. It would be one thing if God passed his plan off to a bunch of people who did it all right. It's a whole other thing when God says, here, you guys struggle to do anything right, but I'm still going to accomplish my plan through you. That's glorifying. 
Over and over again in the midst of hardship and failure and insufficient abilities, God's command to His people is simply work. Because we're all called to obedience, not to results. But so many of us, we're only focused on the results. But He wants us to focus on obedience so that He will get the glory from the results while we rely on His power. So we must continue to build God's house even when it seems disappointing. However, just when it seemed difficult enough, just when it seemed like God had plumbed the depths of all the reasons why we don't go to work on His house, God's not done yet. Look at verse 10 of Haggai chapter 2. It says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the, to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, that you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. So what in the world, back at the beginning, does this whole meat-in-your-robe thing mean? Think of it this way. Instead of holy meat in the fold of your robe, think of a clean glass of water. Picture a clean glass of water. What happens if you put a small amount of dirt in that water? There you go. But the reverse isn't true, is it? What happens if you put a small amount of clean water into a glass of mud? Well, while it only takes a little dirt to make clean water dirty, not even a relatively large amount of clean water will make a glass of mud clean. And Haggai says in verse 14 that the same is true about us spiritually. The meat God is referring to is sanctified meat. It's, it's, it's holy meat because it's been offered as a sacrifice. So God is saying, if you touch unclean things with that clean meat, the meat doesn't make the unclean things clean. In other words, God is telling these people, not only does what you're doing seem to be disappointing, but the truth is, it's actually way worse than you think. He's saying not only is this temple disappointingly less than Solomon's, but you are actually defiling it as you put it together. 
Because the clean temple is not going to make you, you unclean people clean. No, you unclean people are going to defile the temple. He says you're defiling this temple as you put it together because your sin has made you spiritually unclean. Now follow me. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Like you're unworthy to do something for God because of your sin. Like everything you touch in the work of the Lord becomes defiled. Like, like you, you can't serve the Lord because you have committed so many sins or one particular sin. or For some reason, you're disqualified. Well, brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to me because I want to tell you something very, very important this morning. I want you to know the truth. The truth that this wasn't always the case. It wasn't always the case that clean could not make unclean things clean. This wasn't always the case that a clean thing couldn't make unclean things clean. You see, there would be someone. Someone clean who would come who could make unclean things clean. And his name was Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus touched a woman who was unclean for 12 years, Jesus didn't become unclean. No, that woman became clean and was healed. When Jesus touched countless numbers of lepers, Jesus didn't become unclean. No, the lepers became clean and they were healed. In fact, when Jesus touched people who were unclean because they were dead... Jesus didn't become unclean. No, the dead people became living and they became clean. That's what happened. And this same Jesus, the same Jesus who made the unclean clean, has made you and I clean as well if you believe in Him. Which means this. Listen, we must faithfully continue to build God's house instead of our own, even when it's disappointing, because we've been made clean by Jesus Christ. You see, on several occasions, the religious leaders tried to test Jesus. They'd say, basically, listen, we need to see you do something amazing to prove you are who you say you are. And to them, Jesus answered with a challenge. He said, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Tear down this temple and I'll build it again in three days. Of course, they laughed him off. That's ridiculous. This temple took, you know, years and years and years to build. But you know what? That is exactly what happened on the cross. You see, the whole point of the temple, the whole reason God is pressing his people to build this temple in Haggai had nothing to do with the wood or the stone or the gold or the lack thereof. Because the glory of the temple was not in the architecture or the, the precious metals. No, the glory of the temple had everything to do with the God who indwelt it. And on the cross, the perfect temple, Emmanuel, the living and breathing God with us, was torn down, demolished. And just as God promised in Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, the earth shook once again. Yet three days later, listen, that temple was rebuilt. 
But, listen, just like God promised in Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, the temple he built in Christ made Solomon's temple look like a tough shed. In fact, just like God said in Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, the temple that God rebuilt was nations bigger and stunningly more beautiful than Solomon's temple. Why? Because... Because the temple God built on the cross wasn't made out of stone or wood or gold. No, the temple God built on the cross is made out of people like you and I. In fact, he's still building that temple on Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says this in verses 4 and 5. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He says, listen, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That's a temple to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And why is God doing that? Why is God using broken, insufficient people to build his temple on top of Jesus well, Peter tells us a few verses later that it's for the same reason God used broken, insufficient people in Haggai. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, the work we are called to is virtually identical to the work God is calling these Israelites to. It's just a different building. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, because we have been made clean, God has now made His home in us. Which means, listen, He's telling us we need to move some furniture around. We need to clean out some closets. We need to keep adding on for the same reason he told these Israelites, because I am with you. Brothers and sisters, we must continue to build God's house because you and I have been made clean. Now, perhaps you're wondering, okay, I, I, I think I understand what you're saying, but how are we supposed to build a spiritual temple? I mean, I, if you were to tell me, put that brick on top of that brick, I might understand. But this is different. Well, this simply means instead of working on a building, we're just working on people. We're building up and growing and adorning God's people to be a better place for Him. Now, Grant, I'm going to have to stop you there because I'm a good Reformed Christian. And it makes me very uncomfortable when you say, I'm supposed to do something that God said He did. You sure about that? I get you, but... Here's the thing, as Reformed Christians, we have to be careful that we don't reduce the work of God to black and white, to either or. Like God builds the house or we do, instead of us working on the house that God built. You see, the Bible is full of this tension of us continuing the work that God started. For example, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, listen to the tension, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? 
because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So which is it? Is God working in us, or are we working it out on our own? The answer is yes. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, that God has given us teachers, listen to the language, in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature or grown manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, I'm not saying that we are called to do something that God has not or cannot. I'm saying that the Bible is clear that we are called to build up the temple of the Lord, to build up the body of Christ, because not only has He empowered us to do so, <clears throat> but again, because He's glorified when He builds His temple on the foundation He laid in Jesus Christ through inadequate people. And, and it's simply, we do this simply through teaching, counseling, serving, encouraging, admonishing, even rebuking. All different kinds of ways, using our, our gifts if we need to, in order to build up the temple, to build each other up to who God has already made us in Jesus Christ. But more than that, God ain't done with this temple. Like spiritual subcontractors, we have been employed to work on the additions that God keeps making to His temple for other blocks. To proclaim the gospel to anyone who will listen in order to stack more and more stones on this building and not to stop until we hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But I want to get back to Haggai because how we do it isn't really the point of Haggai. No, the simple point of Haggai over and over again is just do something. To work. To lay down your insecurities and fears. Step out in faith and get to work on the house of God. Some of you in here this morning feel like you're living plan B. You feel like there's this futility that's plaguing your life. Your work, you toil, you race, but you can't seem to shake the feeling of uselessness. Between the kids' activities and work and, and so much busyness, you don't really have time to work on God's house. Well, to you, friend, God is saying through Haggai, consider your ways because you seem to have plenty of time to work on your own house. Meaning the plain truth is that your life feels so futile because you're chasing futile things. You're expending all your energy on yourself and your own house. Therefore, to some of us, God is simply saying this morning, get to work on my house instead of your own. Put all that effort into my people instead of your own. Because listen, that's where He has true fulfillment and joy in store for you. That's where you'll find the meaning and the satisfaction you can't seem to find now. And notice I didn't say easy or safe or comfortable, but it will be fulfilling and satisfying and rewarding. So some of you need to repent and get to work building God's house instead of your own. But some of you are already doing this. You are working, you're trying, you're, you're laboring on God's house, you're working on God's people but you're disappointed and frustrated, maybe even burnt out. 
you tried teaching, but it didn't go as well as you thought it would. Or, or maybe nobody's listening. You've said the same thing over and over again, and they just don't hear you. You tried counseling or, or cleaning or encouraging or any number one of, of other things, and, and it didn't turn out the way you thought it should. Maybe you were corrected or told you need to do it differently. Well, brothers and sisters, if this is you, then God is saying to you this morning to keep going. Keep building God's house, even when it seems disappointing. God has never called you to results. He's only called you to obedience. Because the truth is, you don't know how much God is doing through you. John Piper put it this way. He said, God is doing 10,000 things on any given day, and we might be aware of one or two of them. I can tell you, for example, from my own experience, that God often speaks to the most people when I get up here thinking, this is going to be rough. I'm not as well prepared as I should be. That's when people come up and they're like, oh, thank you for saying that. And I'm like, I thought that was going to be really bad. Again, why? Why? So that He will be glorified through our efforts instead of us. So while God is calling some of you to simply start working on His house instead of your own, maybe this morning God is telling you to persevere. To keep working on His house even when it seems disappointing. But there are those also still this morning who feel unworthy, who feel guilty, who feel ashamed, who feel like they don't have the right to work on God's people. Because you've made too many mistakes in your life or last week. Well, brothers and sisters, the answer to that objection is fairly simple. The answer is don't think so little of Jesus Christ. Don't think so little of the one who came to you when you couldn't go to him. Don't think so little of the one who gave you his righteousness, his righteous life, in exchange for the one you're ashamed of. Don't think so little of the one who, who speaking of your shame, said on the cross, it is finished. And don't think so little of the one who, to prove that was true, to prove that you have been forgiven, walked out of the grave three days later. In other words, this morning, some of you need to hear, get to work on God's house because you've been made clean, regardless of what you think. In fact, when we look at Haggai through the lens of the gospel, the whole point is that if you believe in Jesus Christ and have a mindset of repentance... You've already been clean enough for the Lord to dwell in you. Which means if He's already living there, you're certainly clean enough to work on it. There's one final exhortation for everyone that I don't want you to miss in the last three verses of Haggai, chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and of nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shiltiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. 
What God is talking about regarding Zerubbabel is the line of David. That, that, that covenant of king that God made in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this signet ring he's talking for, that's the authority of the one who has the king's ring who can stamp the, 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 the king's authority into a document. In other words, brothers and sisters, the last thing I want you to see in Haggai is that we must continue to build God's house with the hope that He is going to finish what He started. We must work on God's house with the hope that He will finish what He started. We must continue working and and building up God's temple, building up each other with the hope that one day all of the opposition, all of our enemies, anyone, anything who might oppose this endeavor will one day fall by the sword of him who bought this, blood, this church with his blood. We must continue to build each other up through diversity, through disappointment and doubt, being confident, having total confidence in this, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Which means, brothers and sisters, we must continue encouraging and teaching and praying and counseling and everything else in between with the assurance that one day Jesus will return. The same Jesus who already stamped you as permanently belonging to the Lord when He pressed His signet ring into the blood with which He has covered you. We must continue to build God's house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your word, for the challenge that you've given us here, for the hope that you are with us, that you love us, and that your ultimate goal for us is fulfillment and joy and hope. That your call for us to continue working on your house, building up your people, is a call of joy. And that you've given us the grace and the mercy to do what you've called us to do through your power. That you will fill in the gaps of our inadequacies. And ultimately, Lord, so that we can glorify you. So, Lord, as we pursue this endeavor, as you convict and lead and grow hearts in this room, I pray, ultimately, Father, that you are glorified by the outcome. Father, we know all of this is only possible through Jesus Christ, so it is in his name that I pray. Amen.